0: Welcome to the HST Podcast Series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Lamb, RN, MBA, and Mock Surveyor for Life Care Services. And we are continuing our discussion journey of the new FTAG numbering systems and the regulations contained in each one of the new FTAGs. Our goal is to help you understand each one of these F tags fully, especially now that we are well into the surveyors using these as the survey process. Today our topic is F tag 684 Quality of Care. And this actually kicks off a section of 17 tags under the heading of Quality of Care. So this is a pretty big section. So we'd like to jump right in. Welcome, Jennifer.
1: Thank you, Laura. It's good to be back and here to assist our listeners in understanding those F-Tags and how to avoid a deficiency.
0: Super. Super. Um, Why don't you just take a quick minute and recap for our listeners what they can expect from this series of podcasts that
1: we've been doing. Sure. Um, What we have been doing is covering one F-Tag per podcast to explain the 49 tags identified as substandard quality of care. And substandard quality of care is defined by CMS as having more than one deficiency related to participation requirements under resident behavior and facility practices, quality of life, and quality of care that constitute either immediate jeopardy to resident health and safety, a pattern of or widespread actual harm that is not immediate jeopardy, or a widespread potential for more than minimal harm that less than immediate jeopardy with no actual harm. Um, We are using the State Operations Manual, or SOM, Appendix PP, the Guidance to Surveyors for Long-Term Care Facilities, in order to provide for you the same information that your state surveyors use when they come in to do the state survey. And we feel it's the best tool to learn as much as the surveyor and to be prepared for your state survey. And as always, uh, Laura and I would advise you to download and follow along to get the most complete information. Thanks Jennifer. So let's jump right in and look at FTAG-684.
0: We knew this formally as FTAG-309, and it's clear that quality of care has really been pulled out of the old FTAG-309 and made into its very own tag, which is the new F-684. So F-309 used to encompass quality of life, pain management, and dialysis. Now, each one of those areas has their own F tag number. And F 684 is really a long regulation, and it's due to so many areas being covered, such as care plans, hospice, palliative care, and other care areas. So, Jennifer, let's start by defining this new tag, F 684.
1: Okay. Um, F-684 says, quality of care is a fundamental principle that applies to all treatment and care provided to facility residents. Based on the comprehensive assessment of a resident, the facility must ensure that residents receive treatment and care in accordance with professional standards of practice, the comprehensive person-centered care plan, and the resident's choices, including but not limited to the following, hospice care, palliative care, terminal illness, Non pressure related skin ulcers and wounds, and for any concerns which have caused or have a potential to cause a negative outcome to the resident's physical, mental, or psychosocial health or well being that is not specifically addressed by any other tag.
0: Well, um, by hearing that, it seems that it covers everything that's not covered elsewhere. So I would kind of define this as a catch all for any care that doesn't have its own specific tag.
1: Yes, absolutely. That sums it up really well, Laura.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, in reading through the regulation, the intent of 684 is to ensure that facilities identify and provide needed care and services that are resident-centered and in accordance with the resident's preferences, goals for care, and professional standards of practice that will meet each resident's mental, physical, and psychosocial
1: needs. Exactly. And it isn't enough to simply make decisions about what we feel is best for the resident. The resident or the resident's representative must be involved in the planning of care to ensure that it does meet the resident's needs while adhering to their preferences.
0: Well, that's really important because this ties in that whole resident centered um, process and that whole resident centered culture. But when I look at the Psalm, it talks about the highest practical physical,
1: mental, and Psychosocial well
0: being. So, what does that mean?
1: Well, highest practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well being is defined as the highest possible level of functioning and well being limited by the individual's recognized pathology and normal aging process. Highest practicable is determined through the comprehensive resident assessment and by recognizing and confidently and thoroughly addressing the physical, mental, or psychosocial needs of the individual.
0: Well, with the new requirements of participation and with all the new F-tags and in the podcast that we've talked um, earlier in some of the earlier F-tags, it all really comes down to the individual and there's not a one size fits all approach. Is that is that right? Absolutely. I agree. So so if we're saying that how often should assessments be conducted to make sure that the residents' needs are being met? It would seem to me we'd, we, would have to, we would have to have a process in place and know when we have to do the assessments.
1: Absolutely. And the federal government has set up those specific timelines for the completion of RAI assessments. Um, but according to the SOM, standards of good clinical practice dictate that the clinical assessment process should be considered fluid and ongoing. There's not some static Um, assessment that's done at the beginning, and then you never hear from it again. So it's always ongoing. Um, Specifically, if there's been a significant change in condition, an assessment should be conducted to identify those new changes.
0: Okay. So a high priority must be placed on identifying what each resident requires in order to reach their highest practical well-being. And the care plan has to reflect that person-centered care, the personal choices, and preferences, and it has to establish what care and services will be utilized by the facility and the staff in order to meet each resident's individual needs. Absolutely, yes. Well, you know, I do know that the SOM does give us some examples of care areas that residents may have and the facilities may need to address. And some of those areas um, include residents with non-pressure related skin ulcers and wounds.
1: Yes, the SOM um, breaks it down into several areas, such as arterial wounds, diabetic wounds, and venous or stasis ulcers. It goes over each of those concerns to provide guidance. While the state surveyors use the guidance to determine deficiencies, we can use those guidelines to determine if we are meeting the needs as outlined in regulation standards. That's really, that's really um, a key statement
0: you just said there that we need to use these same guidelines. So um, when looking at this, another area of of concern highlighted in this F-tag is the care of residents who use hospice and end-of-life care. And there must be an assessment and there must be ongoing discussion about what needs the resident may have and how to care for those needs when a resident is in the stages of dying. Just because a resident's on hospice, it doesn't mean that we stop meeting their needs It would, in fact, be even more vital to understand and be, you know, be aware of the fluid changes of needs as the process continues.
1: Absolutely. And the care of the resident on hospice or in the end of life is very complex and it changes from day to day. So that fluidity is even more important.
0: Well, let's talk about care plans as they pertain to F-684. What are some of the areas of the care plan that should be addressed?
1: Well, the care plan is based on the resident assessment, choices, and advanced directives. As the resident status changes, the care plan should also change to reflect new concerns or resolved issues. The care plan, the care plan should address um, care areas such as um, oral care, skin integrity, medical treatment and diagnostics, symptom management, nutrition, hydration, activities, psychosocial needs. The list could go on and on. So this is certainly not a limited list, but these are some of the items that you would touch on with that care plan.
0: And it's like we talked earlier it's kind of a catch all a lot of things are going into this um new F tag 684 when it comes to quality of care. But it's it's like you know it, it's it's interesting because 309 used to kind of be that way but then they separated right. some things out,
1: right? Yes, I mean it's it's long now I'm sitting here thinking wow how long was it when it was all under 309 so <laughs> Well <laughs> Another
0: area mentioned under this tag was resident care policies. And I'm going to go right back to that Psalm again, because according to the Psalm, the facility in collaboration with the medical director must develop and implement resident care policies that are consistent with the current professional standards of practice, not only for pain management and symptom control, but for assessing residents, physical, intellectual, emotional, social, and spiritual needs. In addition, if the facility has a written agreement with a Medicare-certified hospice, the policies must identify the ongoing collaboration and communication process established by the nursing home and the hospice.
1: Yes, and um, one of the things that surveyors will ask for is the agreements between the facility and the hospice providers. It's one of the first things they ask for. Um, hospice care and services are based upon a written agreement between the facility and the Medicare-certified hospice. A resident at the end of life may choose to elect the Medicare hospice benefit, or they may choose to continue to receive the care and services provided by the facility. The resident considering election of the hospice benefit must meet the hospice eligibility requirements.
0: Well, and those requirements say that the individual must be entitled to Part A of Medicare and certified as terminally ill. Terminally ill means that the individual has a medical prognosis that his or her life expectancy is six months or less if the illness runs its normal course.
1: Absolutely. And it should also be noted that facilities are not required to offer hospice services. Um, If a resident chooses to have hospice services and a facility does not have a hospice agreement, the facility should assist the resident with transferring to a facility or appropriate setting where hospice is provided, or the facility may at that time enter into an agreement with a hospice provider.
0: And it should be further noted, Jen, that just because a resident elects to have hospice service, it doesn't mean in any way to negate the facility's responsibility for providing care that's not related to the hospice. You know, for example, the facility still has to provide 24-hour room and board to meet the personal and nursing needs of the individual. The resident is never to experience any lack of service of care just because they have hospice services. And what when we're when you know we're looking at that statement saying that the residents should never experience any lack of services or care, what types of things should be found in the hospice agreement versus what the community health center is providing?
1: Well, the hospice agreement with the facility should show what care is provided and it should show what should occur. Should there be a difference in resident care issues? Um, How should they resolve those issues? The facility and hospice service provider should have a collaborative care plan in place to make sure that all of the needs of the resident are addressed and to make sure that each entity knows what areas they have responsibility for and how to best address any issues that come up, any care clashes, basically. So I
0: think that's a really good good overview, but just for our listeners so they know, the psalm goes into really great detail about what the agreement must address. And so Jennifer and I would both encourage our listeners to look at that section of the psalm for some pretty specific information. I think it's really, really important, especially when we're looking at a tag under quality of care.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree, Laura. There is so much information to sort through concerning hospice care. And and as you pointed out, um, F-684 is lengthy. And so we couldn't cover um, all of the information that could be found in that tag. So we absolutely encourage you to look it up.
0: Okay. Okay, so um, so Jennifer, like we've done in the past, um, tell our listeners what the surveyors will look at when they're trying to determine whether or not the facility is in compliance with FTEG 684.
1: Well, Laura, the surveyors will review the most comprehensive assessments, comprehensive care plans, and orders to determine whether or not the facility has identified and addressed concerns or resident care needs. If a resident has not been in the facility for more than 14 days, the surveyors will audit the baseline care plan, which should be completed within 48 hours. And this will be to determine if the facility is providing appropriate care and services based on admission information. Once the surveyors have this information, it guides them in what to observe and what questions they may ask in interviews. So what are the key components of noncompliance? Well, to... To um, cite deficient practice at F-684, the surveyor's investigation will generally show that the facility failed to do any one of the following. Um, If they failed to provide needed care or services, resulting in an actual or potential decline in one or more residents' physical, mental, and or psychosocial well-being. Failure to provide needed care or services or to manage symptoms resulting in one or more residents' failure to improve and or attain their highest practicable physical, mental, and or psychosocial well-being. Failure to recognize and or assess risk factors placing the resident at risk for specific conditions and or problems, Um, and also failure to implement resident-directed care and treatment consistent with the resident's comprehensive assessment and care plan, preferences, choices, rights, advanced directives, if they have any, and if applicable, according to their state laws, Um, if it fails to address their goals, physician orders, professional standards of practice, causing a negative outcome, or placing the resident at risk for specific conditions and or problems, if it fails to monitor, evaluate, Uh, the resident's response to interventions and or revise the interventions as appropriate. If this causes a negative outcome or if it places the resident at risk for specific conditions and or problems, it could be a citation. And then lastly, um, if they fail to inform and educate the resident who decides to decline care about the risks and benefits of such declination and offer alternative care options and take steps to minimize further decline, causing a negative outcome or placing the resident at risk for specific conditions and or problems.
0: Again, a lot of information included in this tag. And again, yeah, and again, back to that Psalm, Jennifer, because that it's really, really important, um, especially with this tag. Probably, I I don't want to say it's more important with this tag than any we've reviewed, but this one seems pretty significant that our listeners should um, actually review this section of the psalm, because it really also um, gives examples of different severity levels of noncompliance. And so our listeners can really understand what constitutes a level one, a level two, a level three, um, or even a level four.
1: Absolutely. And it's just a great idea to pull it up and learn each tag and what the surveyors may be looking for and where it may fall in those severity levels. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well,
0: Jennifer, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I would like to thank all of our listeners as we continue our uh, podcast outlining the new F tags and the added regulations under the uh, requirements of participation. I hope everyone found our discussion on 684 to be beneficial and that you all will continue to join us as we continue our journey through the 49 potential substandard quality of care F-TAGs in the coming weeks. So Jennifer, I look forward to our next discussion.
1: Thank you, Laura. I do too. I look forward to our next podcast. And next time we'll talk about F-685, Treatment and Devices to Maintain Hearing and Vision.
0: Wonderful. That's all we have today. Thank you for joining us. Legal Disclaimer. Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.